Go ahead and be seated. I'm Joe Collins. Welcome to See Me Church. It's great to see you. And, you know, generally on the first Sunday of the month, or at least a couple times a month, we, uh, we like to have the high school kids, the junior high kids in the worship with us because we really value that sense of connection and not just communion and worship, but also hearing the message together. It gives you a chance to talk as families about what you've learned, whatever. But uh, so I want to just say a special thank you to the kids that are in here. I know it's not always your favorite thing. You'd rather be out in your class, and that's great. Great. We want you to love your class, but from time to time, we do value being in here. So hopefully uh, you can be encouraged as well as the adults can be encouraged by the message today. So we're in a series. It's called Jesus Worth Following. And last time you might remember the, the theme was if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Well, today we're just going to talk about one simple word, fear. So there was a priest a rabbi, a, a priest, a minister, and a rabbi. And they wanted to know who was better at their profession. And so they, they challenged each other. They came up with this test. They decided that they would go into the woods, they would find a bear, and they would convert the bear to their specific faith tradition. So they all agreed. A week went by. They came back a week later after they had all tried it out, and they, they met to discuss how it went, and the, the priest went first. And he said, you know, I went into the woods, and I found a bear sitting under a tree, and I began to teach him the catechism. I offered him first communion. I, I, I gave him his first communion, and, and next week we're going to come back and we're going to finish the catechism. Next came the minister. He said, well, I went out into the woods, and I found a bear sitting by a stream, and I preached God's word to the bear. The bear was so convicted that I baptized him right then and there in the stream. And then they both looked at the rabbi, and he was laying on a gurney, and he was in a full body cast. And they said, well, how'd it go for you? And he said, well, I went out into the woods, and I found a bear. He was in an open field. And I began to teach him from the law of Moses. And everything was going great until we got to circumcision. <laughs> you know, sometimes fear can demotivate us. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you so much for bringing us together this morning. I pray for your spirit to be with us, to infill us. Help us to see great things in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're in Mark chapter 14. And we're picking it up in verse 53, and if you're visiting, we're in a series. This series has been going on for a couple of years now. We've been going through the pages of Mark, sort of section by section. So I'll do my best to kind of catch you up to speed, but I really can't fill you in on the whole story. Amen? So in verse 53, we read, They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself by the fire. We're in the last week of Jesus's life. It's late Thursday night, early Friday morning. We're in the garden of, we were, we were in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus gets arrested by the temple authorities and they're planning on executing him. And when they come to arrest him in the middle of the night in that garden of Gethsemane, the, the, uh, all the disciples desert him and run for their lives. They don't know what to do. They're so panicked. So the temple authorities, the guards take him and they bring him to the chief priest's palace. 
where he stands on trial in front of the Sanhedrin. Now, this was the first of two trials that Jesus was going to face. This one was a religious trial. The next one is going to be a trial in front of Rome, and it's more of a civil trial. But this is the start of the, the beginning of the end for Jesus, so to speak. Now, Mark doesn't tell us a lot. He leaves a lot of detail out. So it's important to kind of know what the other gospel writers say. And I'm not going to go through every detail, but I'll fill you in as we go. And what we find out if we look at the other gospels is that when they took Jesus to the high priest's palace, they actually took him to another high, a different high priest, a man named Annas. Annas was the high priest in Israel for, uh, for, of the Jews for many years until he got deposed by Rome. Rome didn't like him. So they removed him and they replaced him with his own son-in-law, a man named Caiaphas. So they officially, they originally took him to Annas because most of the Jews kind of recognize Annas as the real high priest, but technically Caiaphas had become the new high priest. So they went to Annas, not much happens there, and then they take him over to Cal uh, Caiaphas's palace and that's where this trial begins. Now remember, it's the middle of the night. It might even be super early, two, three in the morning, Friday morning. And we're in the palace of the high priest, not at the temple where a trial like this would actually take place, or even out in Bethphage where the trial like this might actually take place. And the reason for that is because they didn't want to make a big scene. They wanted to keep this whole thing rather secret. Yet the whole Sanhedrin, well, at least most, if not all of the Sanhedrin was present, which lets us know that they were expecting Jesus to be there at this time, which if you remember from our story, Judas had betrayed Jesus. He got into cahoots with the temple authorities. They worked out a plan and all this was coming according to the plan. Now it says that at first, Peter and another disciple, who Mark doesn't mention, but the other gospels tell us it's John. Peter and John follow at a distance. And then eventually they make their way to the courtyard of the high priest and they make their way in and from the courtyard they're able to kind of keep tabs on what's happening with Jesus and, and the trial. You remember last week we talked about try, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And I think this is just a great picture of what it looks like when we stumble in our faith. We don't fall away, we don't abandon the Lord but we stumble and we struggle. And that's, I think, what Peter and John are doing. They're not doing well at all spiritually. They're struggling. But here they are stumbling along and still trying to keep in touch. What a great picture of what it should look like when we find ourselves in difficult times spiritually. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to make mistakes. But man, let's keep stumbling in the direction of Jesus. Amen? Verse 55, the chief priests in the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they didn't find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy the temple made with human hands in three days and build another not made with hands. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. Now to say that this whole thing was rigged, this whole trial, is an understatement. Let's just go through the facts. Number one, it was the middle of the night. You ever try to get anything done through the government? It doesn't happen in the middle of the night. <laughs> Number two, it was in an undisclosed location. They were not where they should have been. Number three, 
the Sanhedrin, and oh, a whole bunch of false witnesses just happened to be present in the middle of the night at the, Sanhe at the high priest's uh, palace. Number four, even though they had all these witnesses, their own testimonies didn't agree. That's significant. Because according to the law, if you were going to sentence someone or charge them with a capital crime, like something that would deserve death, you actually had to have two or three witnesses and their testimony had to mesh. It had to make sense. And even, you know, and, and the, the, the way it was practiced is even if they disagreed on some minor detail, that person could end up being set free. Yet here we are with all these people and none of them are meshing at all. Their testimonies don't even make sense. But lastly, and the thing I want you to, to really think about is, was, was the charge that they finally came up with, oh, he said he would destroy the temple and rebuild it, was that really a capital crime? Not according to the law. That wasn't any reason to put him to death. It might have been a reason to call him crazy, but it wasn't really a reason to put him to death. Verse 60. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of God, of the mighty one, and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his robes, his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. So after who knows how long and how many attempts and how many false witnesses kept coming forward, they could not get it done. I mean, they had all this arranged and all this set up, and they just couldn't get it done. So the high priest gets frustrated, and he begins to question Jesus directly. And initially, Jesus is just quiet. He's just letting it happen. But then the high priest asks him a very specific question. Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? Now, this is significant because the dominant thinking at this time among the religious leaders was that, was that God would bring about a Messiah to save the Jewish people from their slavery, their, their enslavement to Rome. And that was consistent with their history. In their past, God had raised up many different leaders, Moses, Gideon, etc. And they rose up and they did something great for the people of Israel. And then they passed on and generations would go by and a new person would raise up. As a matter of fact, just a couple, just a hundred years before this, there was the whole incident of the, of the, of the, uh, the, uh, all, the, the, uh, Abomination of desolation. When, when the temple was uh, uh, invaded by a foreign army and they slaughtered a pig on the altar, and then the Maccabees rose up and they defeated them and they restored the temple. And so the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people in general thought of Messiah as a person who would come and rescue them. And that's what Caiaphas asked Jesus. Are you a Messiah, the son of the blessed one? He used that phrase. He wasn't calling him the son of God. They didn't like to use the name of God. Jews don't do that. So they would come up with other ways to describe God. And that's what that phrase is, son of the blessed one. It's just another way of saying God without saying God. Jesus couldn't miss the opportunity. 
I mean, he knows what's going on. He understands that they don't understand what the Messiah really is, what the the capital the capital M Messiah really is. They're looking for another human. They're asking him if he's it. He can't refuse the opportunity. Besides the fact they were going to fail at this whole trial to begin with, so he had to give them something to convict him on. He had to help them along here because they were so bad at what they were doing. He said, yes, I am. And then he said, you'll see me coming on the hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. And what Jesus just said there was that I'm not, not only am I the Messiah, but I'm not just another Messiah. I'm actually the son of God. Now, of course, they flipped their lid. This is blasphemy. He claimed to be God when you're not God. That's blasphemy. He tears his clothes. He asks what everybody thinks. They all agree. They start beating him and spitting on him. All these things are sort of formal signs of their rejection of him. And then he's handed over to the guards and beaten. We have been studying the Gospel of Mark, following Jesus through the pages from place to place for quite some time now, a couple years. I want you to understand one thing that's really significant right now. This moment when Jesus said, yes, I am, and you will see me, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven, this is the whole point of the Gospel of Mark. This is the climax moment. Everything builds up to this. Afterwards, the book of Mark ends pretty quickly. He gets through the resurrection and a few other things, but it's kind of done. This is it. This is the point. When Mark penned this, this letter, he wanted to make this one point more than any other point throughout the letter. And the point is that Jesus is not just a human savior, but he's actually the son of God. And that he came to save all of us. That's the point. That's the climax. He's both God and man. And that's what Mark believed. And that's what Mark wanted you and I to believe. That's what Mark wanted his readers of his gospel to believe. If you find this hard to believe, let me help you with your unbelief. If not me, let the person that you that came here with, let them help you with your unbelief. Set up a coffee, set up a talk, have that conversation, because this is the entire crux of what it means to be a Christian. We don't just think of Jesus as a hero, a savior, another one, another person, a long line of heroes throughout history. We think of him as the son of God. The mighty one. And he will come on the clouds of heaven one day. Verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near Peter said, surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. He began to call down curses 
And he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Now, again, if you weren't part of our series before, I'll fill you in. It was just a few hours ago, before Jesus got arrested in the garden, just after the Last Supper, where the the disciples and Jesus celebrated the the Seder, the Passover meal, they left the upper room, they went across the city through the temple into the Garden of Gethsemane, and along the way, Jesus said, you're going to all fall away, you're all going to start to stumble, your faith is going to get rocked, and they said, oh no, no, we'll never abandon you, we'll never leave you, we're going to die with you, we'll never leave you, and just a few hours later... They were running for their lives. And Peter, who was the most vocal, who even said to Jesus, I will die with you on three different occasions, denies even knowing Jesus. So I have a question. I want some participation here. I want some audience interaction. Amen? Here's the question. What do you think motivated Peter to break his promise? I mean, how did he go from I'll die with you to I don't know the man? In just a few hours. Yes. Fear. Fear. Yes. Doubt. Doubt. Self-preservation. Self-preservation. Guilt by association. Guilt by association. Did I miss one? Yeah, I think all of those are true, but I think as, as Nicole figured out right from the start, the whole message today, right, the theme is fear. It's clear that Peter was afraid. All of those things come into play, doubt, self-preservation, etc. Those are all things that come out when we're afraid. Peter was afraid. Have you ever been afraid? Have you ever been afraid because of your faith? I want to walk through each of these moments. Because uh, as, as sad as it is, and as challenging as it is, there is a little humor in here. So the first concern is this servant girl. You ever think, what, what Peter was a fisherman. He was afraid of a little preteen servant girl? I'm like, really? Yeah, he was. You know, sometimes we get fearful, and even the smallest little thing freaks us out. We get insecure. We start to doubt. We start to question our faith. And then something, you know, oh, the phone only rang twice. Something happened. I don't know what that's about, you know, or, you know, he didn't say I love you at the end of the call or, or she, you know, or she, you know, who's going to say it first. And then, oh, they don't love me anymore. It's all over. I mean, it happens. And sometimes we get fearful. And then even the smallest thing, a servant girl can scare us. But I want you to know this servant girl was kind of vicious. Because look at what she says. She's kind of vicious here. She's kind of cutthroat. She says, you also were with that Nazarene, Jesus. She didn't say this nicely. She said that Nazarene. Now remember, they're in the courtyard. Everybody there is either working for the high priest or I guess Peter and John were stumbled in there and secretly trying to follow Jesus, but everyone else was on, on, on the, the high priest's side, right? And so that is kind of a threat. That is kind of a, a scary way to even phrase that term. It's an accusation. So what does Peter do? Well, the big tough fisherman runs away. He denied it. I don't know, understand what you're talking about. And he went out into the entryway. You ever watch those movies and, and it's like the comedies where the, the bank robber is trying to get away from the police and he sees a car and he runs and he jumps in it and it turns out to be the backseat of the cop car? 
That's kind of what happened here. Peter ran to the entryway. Who stands at entryways? Guards. He runs over there out of fear, and now he's in the entryway, and there's the guards and other people standing around. And this little girl is relentless. I have a preteen little girl. She is relentless. Man, oh, she's a teen now. Sorry. Oh, now I'm going to hear it. This is now I'm, now I'm afraid. So she chases him down. And in front of all the people around the entranceway, possibly the guards, she goes, this guy's one of them. This is not polite. This is accuse. This is attack. What does Peter do? Well, he denies it again. But he doesn't run away. Have you ever been driving on the road and you're kind of going too fast and then you pass a policeman because he's hiding? What do you do? Do I stomp on the brake and he sees my brake lights and that gives me away? Or do I, just, I try to slow down easy? He didn't see me. He didn't see me. That's what Peter did. I think he just stood there like, well, I'm not going to run. If I run away, that's going to look like I'm guilty. I'm going to stay here. So you can just see Peter just clenched up. Just, okay. Well, then after some while, those people... They start going, wait, wait, wait a second, you, you got to be one of them. You're a Galilean. And now it's full panic mode. He just starts cursing. The fisherman comes out. He is cursing. I was going to ask you to raise your hand. Have you cursed as a Christian? I'm not saying you should, but you're in good company. It happens. Peter could argue he had a better reason than probably most of us. But there he is, he starts cursing. And then he swears, I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crows. That was part of the prophecy Jesus said, you're going to disown me. Not only that, Peter, but you're going to do it three times before morning. You know? And here it is, morning. Peter remembered the words Jesus spoke to him. He broke down and he wept. So I have a question for you. How do we... How do we bolster our faith? How do we protect ourselves so that when we are in this moment like Peter and when even the smallest thing is, is scaring us, is frightening us, how do we make sure we can, we can withstand it? Mine. I think this was the first time possibly that Peter didn't have Jesus right there. Yeah. And, uh, the, you know, the boat starts to rock. He's like, Jesus, the boat's rocking. Yeah, you know? right. And so I think getting... Great. Getting used to calling on Jesus in those moments. Where do you look to? John prays at the 7-Eleven, right? For, as he shared in the communion, you know, Lord, help me win today, right? At the lottery. Yes. I think in the same vein, just, uh, I find for me, just being in God's word and being reminded of things, it helps me when I get in situations of, that kind of strengthens me to yeah. resist the situation. Being in God's word. You have a better perspective. Helps you in the moment. Yeah, Rita. Walking with other Christians. Really great point. Um, yeah, no, I. I really love that stuff. So you remember that Jesus said, "I'm not going to overtest you here. You can handle this." Okay, and that gives you strength. Yes, Judy. Pray every day, all throughout the day. Pray every day, all throughout the day, Mike. 
think it's remembering the victories that uh, you had in your past. Remember the victories. Yes. Was there any other? I didn't want to miss anyone. Okay. All of those great answers. I had two that I came up with. Now, the first one comes from the Apostle Paul. Most of us know who that is. The Apostle Paul was a follower of Jesus. He actually became a follower many years after all of this happened in Mark. He was originally a one of the temple authorities. He was actually in that same group of people as the people who were arresting and convicting Jesus to death. But at some point he converted and he became a follower of Jesus and he wrote a book called Romans. He wrote several books about his newfound faith. And in Romans, this is what Paul says. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. How can we strengthen ourselves so that when we're out in the world and we're doing our thing and, and Satan's there or the temptations come to fall, to stumble, the, the threats are there? Get in to God's word. Amen. It's crucial. Now, I have said this many different times. Most ministers do. We all say, you know, study your Bible, right? And that's all very true. But you know something I've learned recently? You don't necessarily have to study it. Just read it. Just reading the Bible on a regular basis is actually enough. Studying it, going deeper, wow. Well, then all bets are off. I mean, you, you're a spiritual giant when you get into that stuff. But if you just teach yourself, and I'm talking to everyone, including the junior high, including the high school students, if you just teach yourself to read your Bible on a regular basis, every day, just make it your habit. When I was in junior high, I read my Bible I wasn't even a follower of Jesus at the time, but I, I was familiar, I liked the Bible, and I, I had read the entire New Testament a couple of times through junior high school. Just read it. The point of reading it is, is that then it gets stuck in your head. Do you remember last Sunday when we stood and we just read the Bible? The whole point is to just know the story. Because then, when you're in a situation that feels similar, you remember the story. And then you can remember what Jesus did or didn't do, and that can give you strength. That can give you faith. So please, just read your Bible. Right. Second thing that came to my mind, and Rita, Rita stole my thunder here. Where the heck was John this whole time? I mean, that's all that I can think of. I'm like, thanks, John. I mean, he left Peter out there all alone and all these hostile people, if you read through the lines there in the other Gospels, it turns out that John knew someone in the high priest's circle. And that's how they actually got in. And maybe John went and hung up there and had a mimosa. Who knows what John was doing? I know I'm speculating. Now, I don't want to be unfair to the Scriptures. We don't know, but I'm just speculating. But what if John was there with Peter? What if he was right next to him? Do you think maybe they could have helped each other? You know, that Apostle Paul, he said this, same book, 15 verse 1, Romans. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. How important is our relationships, given what we're reading here? How significant, how much does it matter that you have three, four, five close, faithful friends who can be there in the ups and the downs. Sometimes be there during the ups and the downs. It is absolutely crucial to have these connections. 
So here's the point. Fear is a big demotivator. But friendship and Bible reading can help us overcome fear. I can't imagine doing this, trying to build a church here in Simi Valley, being involved in the church down in Shoreline. I can't imagine doing this without Geo. I can't imagine doing this without you. I can't imagine doing this alone or without God's word in my life. Because contrary to popular belief, Gio and I are not that awesome. <laughs> we definitely have bad days and we definitely have bad moments. But you know, I think about you. I think about how much I need you and how much you need me and that gives me strength. And I call some of you and rail on and on and on. And you give me strength. And hopefully I give you strength. And then I think about how I like to read the Bible. I like to know the Bible. I like to study it. I like to do this kind of stuff. But you don't even have to do this kind of stuff. Just read it. And it's, it's miraculous. I couldn't imagine doing this without you guys and without God's word. So if I'm ever asked to go into the woods and convert a bear, I know that with God's word and you there with me, as long as you're slower, I'm going to be just fine. We're going to go ahead and stand on up. Let's close out in a word of prayer and you'll be dismissed. By the way, I uh, just want to let you know, uh, in, in July, please understand this, I need to sometimes slow down in my preaching schedule so I can recuperate and get ahead. So the month of July, I'm just inviting a lot of guest speakers in, and I know you guys love to hear different people. Uh, so next Sunday, Ron Hammer's going to be here, and I'm really excited. Dear friend of many of us, going to be great to hear from him. So he's going to be coming down, and uh, it'll be a great time. And then we'll do a couple other people in the month, and then we'll get back onto our routine. But let's go to God and close out in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the great stories in the Bible and how they minister to us so profoundly, even without having to go very deep. Man, that's a blessing. God, I pray that every one of us comes out of here with a desire to read the Bible and a desire to be close, a desire to be friends. And I pray for the students, that they take to heart these lessons, that they learn them now. So that as they get older, they will, they will go beyond what we go, what, where we've been. That they will go to even greater drinks of, uh, levels of faith and greater deeds of faith because they know their Bible and they have their friends. God, be with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>